When I was in uh, seminary, this was about 10 or 11 years ago, uh, my good friend uh, got a call one day. We were together at an office, and uh, his neighbor called him and said, hey, I just saw someone walk up your driveway, and they walked back down it with a bike. Um, didn't look, it looked like your bike. And uh, so he, he called the police. Uh, they, they came pretty quickly and uh, found the bike, returned the bike. And it, it, in the process of that, of, of the police coming and, and talking to the thief and then following up with my friend the next day, what we learned is that this man who had stolen the bike uh, just hours, less than a day before, had been released from a multi-year prison sentence. He, he had just gotten out of prison. And, and yet, it was clear, even though he was freed, I mean, he, he was released, he was no longer in prison, uh, he was still struggling as to what it would look like to live a free life. Galatians is written. It's Paul's declaration. If there's a theme that's, that's abounding in this book, it is this, that we are free, that those who are in Christ are free. We're free from condemnation. Uh, we're free from having to prove ourselves to God by the law. We are no longer under the law. We're no longer slaves. We are sons we are those who have been set free. And yet, for those of you who have heard that good news and, and believe that good news, there can be this struggle in life to wonder, what do I do with that? If that's our only concept of what the gospel is, of what we've been freed from, then inevitably it'll lead to the question, well, what am I freed for? And Paul in this passage is going to make crystal clear what we have been freed for. Right off the bat in verse 13, he's going to explain that you and I have been freed to love people. We are free now to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to love people as he did, which will inevitably leave us, lead us to serve people in the way that he did. And, and so what we'll find also, though, is that as we begin to try and do that, uh, we will inevitably find that we don't always want to do that, that there is a battle going on within our hearts. And, and so we're going to look at what Paul says about not only what we've been freed for, but uh, the battle that's going on as well and our hope in the midst of that. So we're going to look at three points this morning. We're going to look at a, a description of the free life, the battle in the free life, and the power for the free life. Uh, I'm going to read from Galatians 5. You'll notice we have printed through verse 26. Uh, I printed this whole section because uh, we'll be touching on different parts from it, but we will return to it uh, in the coming weeks with a greater focus on the fruits of the Spirit and the second half of it. So I'm going to read all of this, uh, and then we'll return to it in the coming weeks. So Galatians 5, starting in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It's the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, your word is true and it's everlasting and it's powerful. Uh, what were you saying in your word? It's, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And so, Father, we ask that uh, you would take your word this morning and that you would uh, pierce our hearts, Lord, that you would cut through uh, all that is within us that is uh, preventing us uh, from walking with you. Lord, cut through our deception and our doubt and our discouragement, Lord, in order that you might expose us and heal us and send us. And Father, we ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. We have a dog that is about two years old. Um, we're not exactly sure when he was born. We rescued him. Um, he was stuck in an apartment. Uh, someone had left him there, and uh, we took him out. He's part retriever. This was about uh, almost two years ago that we got him, and I remember when we first got him, uh, I, I didn't even really, he hadn't been trained much on like fetching, but I would just throw a rope or a tennis ball, and instinctively he does what those types of dogs do. He just ran and got it. And, you know, sometimes he would come back to me, um, got better at that. Uh, and he would do that over and over again and seem to have boundless energy and boundless enthusiasm for doing this thing. He's a retriever. Like that's what God made him to do. And it was kind of this beautiful scene, uh, but it was also one of those scenes I looked at and I thought, man, I'm almost kind of jealous of this dog, because he does not have to wonder like what he's made to do. Like that day when he wakes up, he doesn't have like this identity crisis of like, okay, man, what, what, what are the things I'm being called to do? Like he's just going to do what his owner tells him to do. And if that involves a tennis ball, man, that is just bliss. He knows what he's meant to do. And, and, and I think some of us have probably maybe, whether we've seen an animal do something they want to do, or maybe you've just seen someone who's like, oh man, that person just seems to have their act together. They went to college and got this major. Now they're doing that major and they just do life and it seems pretty orderly and easy. Sometimes we can struggle to know what to do. And Paul recognizes that struggle in this passage and it's for a couple of reasons. 
I, I think for us, part of the reason we might struggle as Christians in knowing what to do is maybe because we have, have only known the gospel as what we are freed from. And that is huge. We've spent all fall talking about it. We've been freed from condemnation. Freed from the burden of the law. But we're also freed for something. But we struggle to know that sometimes. Uh, we struggle to know that because uh, we also have sin that's dwelling in us. Part of our old sinful nature. Paul will refer to it as the flesh. The flesh dwells in us and we, we often go back to what we know. And so for those of us who maybe feel stuck not knowing what we're called to do today, or, or maybe for those of us uh, who maybe know what we're called to do, but easily forget, easily fall back into old ways, Paul starts off this passage that we just read with crystal clear instructions as to what we have been freed for. Look at verse 13. He says, uh, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. More on that in a moment. But through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. Then he goes on to verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word or one command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, this might even sound familiar to what we read last week. Verse 6, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but faith working through love. You, you see what Paul is getting at? Those who are in Christ have been freed, and you've been freed for a purpose, to follow Jesus as he loves others. And when we think about how Jesus loved others, it was through service, taking the form of a servant. You're calling and my calling in life. If you're ever wondering, what should I be doing? I've got a free day. I don't, I don't know what to do. I feel stuck. Your calling is to serve and love other people. To follow Jesus in his loving service towards people. Um, that's big. It's really big because I think sometimes we can get bogged down sometimes in specifics because God has desires for us. Uh, there's laws, there's commands in Scripture. But what Paul here is saying is that God's goal for you and I through the law is not to become really good at obeying or really good at keeping commands or awesome at knocking all these things off our checklist. Some of those might be good things. The end goal for Paul in your heart and my heart is that we would become a loving people, that our hearts would be transformed. We can obey, we can do lots of things and our heart be in the totally wrong place. Find me the week before taxes are due. I'm actually pretty good at obeying. My heart is usually not in a very loving place as I'm doing those things. Paul's not, he's saying God's end goal in your heart and my heart is not merely that we would be good at obeying or good at keeping rules, but that our hearts would be changed, that we would love people. And, and here, here's what this means. Two applications. You are doing what you've been created to do when you're serving other people. 
If you're in Christ, if now your identity is united to the one who took on flesh and dwelt among us, took the form of a servant, laid down his life for his people, if that's who we are united to, what that means is that you are your most true self when you are serving people and loving people. Now, here's the other thing. It will not always feel like these humongous acts of love and sacrifice and significance. And so what you also need to hear um, is that when you are lovingly serving people, when you're doing things that maybe don't always grab the headlines or don't always get attention or accolades from other people, that does not make that any less insignificant. In fact, what Paul is saying here is that it's hugely significant. That, that the command that, that, that when we're loving other people, we're following Jesus as he fulfilled the law. Paul will write later in Galatians 6, carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What might seem to you and me as really insignificant things in Paul's calculus and in the calculus of the gospel are not insignificant at all. When you take time to listen to someone who's hurting instead of avoiding them, uh, when you take time to help uh, your brother or your sister uh, with a homework assignment or a family member with a chore, that, that might seem insignificant to you, but what you are doing is you are following in the footsteps of Jesus you are actually living as you were called to live and created to live. When you take time out of your day to think of someone or to pray for someone or, or to bring them a meal and, and may, maybe no one else will ever, ever notice that or maybe even appreciate it, that is not insignificant. The Lord sees your service in secret. This is beautiful and scary. <laughs> when we realize that what, what God is calling us to do is not merely just a bunch of things, but a new way of life, that's beautiful on the one hand, because when we think about it, man, this is what our world needs. And, and wouldn't it be awesome if the church was known for this? Oh, that's Christian. That's the church. Christians are people who really love their Savior and love following Him as they love others and serve others. In a world that's hostile and divided, we need this. It's beautiful. And yet, it is also scary because it's not something that we can just do or turn on. Sometimes things that are hard to do, we can actually still do them. But God is after your heart. And when Paul says that we are now free to love other people, um, that is great news and it's scary news because it's not just something that we, that, that we can check off. But, but it's a posture towards the world. And, and it changes everything. It changes the way we think about things. Uh, it, it changes the way we think about our resources and our time and our talents, but because we've been freed by Christ, 
we no longer have to always think about how we can use our stuff, our time, our money, our resources to benefit us. We actually now have the blessing to use those for other people, to employ them for other people's good. That's the privilege we have. And yet, what you will find, and what I find, is that when we begin to follow Jesus in acts of service and sacrificial love, we will also immediately hit this wall, whether it's in our hearts or our abilities, that recognizes, I don't always want to do this. I don't know how to do this. I don't know if I can do this. There is a battle going on within our hearts. That's what Paul talks about in verses 16 to 18. There's a battle for the free life, and it's going on between the spirit and the flesh. I mentioned this earlier, but when, when Paul talks about the flesh, he's, he's not merely talking about uh, sins that we do with our body, like a, like a fleshly sin. What he's referring to here in the flesh is our old sinful nature. Uh, who we are apart from Christ. In the gospel, we are freed from condemnation of sin. We're freed from the power of sin. But still, sin still remains in us. That is the flesh. And Paul is saying that, that when we try to use our freedom correctly, we will find there's always going to be a temptation to use our freedom for ourselves. There will always be a temptation to run back to old ways. He says in Ephesians 4, he puts it this way, he says, put off, the, he refers to the flesh as the old self, put off the old self and be renewed in the spirit. There's a battle going on. I printed that passage from Romans 7 in your bulletin. Paul writes in Romans 7, 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Our hearts are a battleground. Verse 17, Paul says, For these are opposed to each other. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Uh, While we have been redeemed from the power of the law, there is a battle going on. There is still sin present in us. And, And the ark of that temptation, whereas we've been called by God to love others and to serve others, what the flesh is always going to do is it's always going to drive us inward. And what you will find is that as you try to follow Jesus, it is really hard. I tweaked my knee this summer and have been doing physical therapy this fall. And, uh, you know, I was like, man, I want to get healthy. I want to fix this thing. And the first session... Uh, the therapist had me doing all this stuff that I just couldn't do. And I was immediately confronted with the fact like, okay, I want, <laughs> I want to be able to run more. I want to be able to do more stuff with my kids. Uh, and immediately was confronted with, I'm pretty weak. Uh, and my knees are pretty weak. We will face a similar challenge when we follow Jesus in sacrificial love and service. There'll be days where we want to. There'll be days where we are really excited. 
where we'll be captivated by the beauty of what Christ has done for us and being able to participate in his mission to the world, there'll be days where that seems awesome and great. And, the, and sometimes the very next moment, that very same thing might feel like death. It might feel like everything in us does not want to do that. That's what Paul's referring to when he says the desires of the flesh. That, that, that's a Greek word that literally means the over-desires. He's talking about those desires of the flesh that seem so overwhelming and so powerful that, that we can't help but submit to them, that we have, can't help but give in to them. There is a battle going on in our hearts, and it's always going to lead us away from serving God and serving others and to ourselves. That's why you see, look, look at the works of the flesh that he lists. <clears throat> Think about how they turn us inward and turn us towards self. Look, he lists all those sexual sins. What, what, what are we doing in the midst of sexual immorality. We're taking a gift God's given us. We're looking at a person created in the image of God. And rather than treating them as an image bearer, we're treating them for our own benefit, using them for our own pleasure. You think about enmity, fits of anger, dissensions. So often in conflict, what are we wanting to do? We want to win. I want to have victory for me. I want to know that I'm right. Sometimes at the expense of even listening to the other person. And certainly at the expense of building another person up. We can do this in so many ways. Paul lists a huge list of things. And he says, and things like these. There are so many ways we can do this where we can take a good gift God's used it that's intended to be used to bless the world and use it just for ourselves. And, and that's why the flesh, it's really interesting. I, mean, I, I think sometimes if you're like me, when we think about um, misusing freedom in the Christian life or, or acts of the flesh, we often think about how that hurts us personally. As Westerners, we, we often think about it's hurting my walk with God. And it does do that. But it's interesting the way Paul describes this conflict. It's within the context of community. We're freed to love other people. And when the flesh attacks us, guess what it's going to do? It's going to attack us in such a way, yes, that it's going to affect us personally and it'll harden our hearts. But also all of these sins have huge relational ramifications. And if you just think about the arc of, of what the flesh does, it turns us inward. If we're constantly looking inward, relationships are going to be really hard. If we're always thinking about how something or someone can benefit me, it's going to make friendship really difficult. It'll make it really transactional. It'll make it really superficial. The flesh is at work in us. Um, I know some of you are thinking, man, Okay, there's a battle going on. I get that. It's the flesh versus the spirit. But man, it really feels like my flesh is really, really strong. Uh, and it really feels like it might actually be winning the battle. Um, and sometimes that can really discourage us. Because if you're like me, sometimes you enter the Christian life with kind of like rose-colored glasses and thinking, man, this is awesome. Christ redeemed me. I get to follow him. I get to do it in community with other people. And that is awesome. And there's so many great things. But the Christian life is also a battlefield. 
And sometimes when we experience that battle, we'll be tempted to believe that we're somehow like an outlier in the Christian life. But battle in the Christian life, spiritual warfare in the Christian life is not a sign that you are dead, but a sign that you are alive. I love this quote from John Piper. He says, The Spirit has landed to do battle with the flesh. So take heart if your soul feels like a battlefield at times. The sign of whether you are indwelt by the Spirit is not that you have no bad desires, but that you are at war with them. The sign of whether you are indwelt by the Spirit is not that you have had no bad that you have no bad desires, but that you are at war within them. There is a battle going on. And there's going to be times in which you do feel helpless. Helpless against old habits. Helpless against just your desire to live for self. And what is the hope in the midst of that? The hope in the midst of that is acknowledging that yes, you on your own are helpless. The, the answer and the power for battling against this is not within you or within me. It is within the Spirit. The, the answer to this question, how do we get power to fight this battle? The short answer to that is the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting the way this battle is described. I, I think a lot of times we, and this probably, this probably hurts us as we battle against the flesh, we think of it as my battle against the flesh. Notice that's not how Paul talks about this battle going on within us. If you look at verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And Paul will say in Galatians 3 that by faith we have received the Holy Spirit. So that when we battle against sin, it is not just us battling against sin, it is Christ by his Holy Spirit battling against the desires of the flesh. You are never alone in your struggle with sin. You're never alone. God's redeemed you into a community and he indwells you by his Holy Spirit. The battleground is not one you fight by your own strength. I'm not a climber, but I have seen a documentary on people who climb Mount Everest. And if you're not from Nepal or you're not like a Sherpa by trade, chances are you get to a certain point on like any mountain climb. And basically, if you don't have an oxygen tank, you're either going to die or you're going to turn around and try and get down the mountain as fast as you can. They provide you with oxygen so that you can live. They, they, they supply you with oxygen so that you can function as you were intended to function climbing that mountain, battling against that mountain. Christ, before he dies, tells his disciples in John 14, I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send my spirit so that you might know the things that I've taught. And what we're told is that God's spirit actually dwells in us. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells inside of you and me. We don't fight this battle alone. We fight it with the aid of the one who defeated sin and death. I've been reading this book this fall called Too Good to Be True. It's written by uh, a pastor in Oklahoma. 
He grew up in West Tennessee, uh, poor family, and he tells the story of uh, him one Christmas, kind of just really discouraged. He, he said, this year I'm going to actually start, I'm, I'm going I'm to appreciate my mom and I want to give her something good. And yet, you know, it's like two days before Christmas and he failed to recognize he had a lot of obstacles. One, he had no money. Uh, he could not drive to the store. They lived in a rural part of the state. Um, and he didn't even know what she wanted. And he's kind of moping around the house and sulking and evidently his mom picked up on what was going on in his life and in his heart. And she was like, one day, hey, gosh, man, all those sticks in the yard, I wish someone would pick those up. You know, I, in fact, I would pay someone if they picked up those sticks. So Ricky's like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Um, a few hours later, hey, I need to go to the, depart- the department store. Um, would you want to come with me? Oh, yeah, let's go to the department store. They start walking through the department store, walk through this section, finds this necklace for the exact amount of money that he had just earned picking up sticks. Oh, man, I love that necklace. That's, that's a really great necklace. Hmm, okay. Sneaks away, buys a necklace. Uh, he says, don't worry, Mom, I'm trying to get you something real quick. They get home. Uh, he wants to wrap her the present. He wants the present to look good. He has no idea. He has never wrapped a present. He has no idea how to wrap the present. The mom said, hey, do you need help wrapping that present? Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. He had no money. He had no transportation. He couldn't buy the gift. He couldn't even wrap the gift. Everything from A to Z. He had a desire and could not do anything. His mom did everything for him. His mom was the only reason. Dependence upon his mom was the only reason he could do anything good for her that Christmas. And I love, I love that story because it's such a picture of the Holy Spirit at work in us. You and I can do nothing apart from him. In fact, in Romans 8, Paul will say that, that, that those who desire the flesh are dead. To pursue the flesh is dead, but those who are inhabited by the Spirit, the Spirit is life. We can do nothing apart from the Spirit, and yet when the Spirit indwells us, we can actually work for the Spirit. And so this picture we have of, that Paul gives us in Galatians is, yes, one in which we are acted upon by the Spirit. It's interesting, in verse 18 he says, be led by the Spirit. But then he also says, walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. And so as, as we fight in the Christian life, know this. On your own, you cannot do it. But God's Spirit dwells in you to point you to what Jesus has done, to point you to what Jesus has taught. And as we work, God's Spirit works in us. Paul summarizes this in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He says, work out your salvation with with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you. Our hope in the battle in the Christian life is that the Holy Spirit works in us, producing fruit in us. More on that next week. But also that we have the opportunity to come to the Lord in prayer, in reading his word, and in serving other people. And that as we do those things, God's Spirit works in and through us to mold us and to make us more and more into the image of Jesus. God's Spirit indwells us in order that we might serve Him and love Him. 
had a student a few years ago uh, when I was doing campus ministry at Kentucky, and he had um, he was telling me about this uh, trumpet showcase they were going to. Um, he was part of a trio, and they were prepping for it. And I said, I was like, man, this sounds like a big deal. Uh, he says, yeah, it was. Only, only a few um, trios were, were chosen uh, in the country. And I thought, I said, man, is 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 preparing that pretty stressful? <laughs> uh, he didn't seem stressed. He goes, no. Actually, when we go there, it's more of a celebration. He's like, the hard work's already been done. Uh, we, had, we had to practice like crazy and submit all of our work. But the, the big award is actually being chosen to go. When we go, we get to enjoy just playing as people who've already been chosen. Uh, there is no competition when we get there. We've been chosen to perform for these people, and so it's more like a party and less like a competition. As you battle against sin, as you battle against the flesh, you are inhabited by the one who has defeated sin and death. There will be days where it feels like you are fighting a losing battle. The flesh would love to convince you it's not worth it. This is not the true you. Sin blinds our eyes to that. The reality is, is that because Christ is in you by his spirit, you are actually fighting a winning battle. The battle belongs to the Lord and he's won it. And so we can fight and we can try to show love towards other people and serve other people and lay down our lives for other people knowing that Christ's work is finished. And there is coming a day where he will come again to make all things new. Where what we believe by now, by faith, we will see in crystal clear. Where we will see his service. And in between that day and now, we get to follow in his footsteps loving others as he has loved us and now empowers us to do. Let me pray for us. Father, Lord, we thank you that you have loved us and that you do love us and that you have freed us from condemnation and guilt. And Father, right now, I pray, I pray for my own heart, I pray for the people <clears throat> in this room and those listening, Father, that we would know what we have been freed for. And Lord, more importantly, that we would know the God who actually enables us to act and live as we've been created. And so, Lord, as we fight to do that, as we battle temptation... Uh, Lord, as we battle lethargy and boredom, God, would you be so kind as to enliven our hearts and to point us to Jesus, who for our sake became poor, that we might become rich in him. We ask all of this in his name. Amen.